Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. to H&R Real Estate Investment Trust 2020 third quarter earnings conference call. Before beginning the call, H&R would like to remind listeners that certain statements, which may include predictions, conclusions, forecasts, or projections in the remarks that follow may contain forward-looking information, which reflect the current expectations of management regarding future events and performance and speak only as of today's date. Forward-looking information requires management to make assumptions or rely on certain material factors and is subject to inherent risks and uncertainties, and actual results could differ materially from the statements in the forward-looking information. In discussing H&R's financial and operating performance, and in responding to your questions, we may reference certain financial measures which do not have a meaning recognized or standardized under IFRS, or Canadian generally accepted accounting principles, and therefore unlikely to be comparable to similar measures presented by other reporting issuers. Non-GAAP measures should not be considered as alternatives to net income or comparable metrics determined in accordance with IFRS as indicators of H&R's performance, liquidity, cash flows, and profitability. H&R's management uses the measures to aid in assessing the REIT's underlying performance and provides these additional measures so that investors can do the same. Additional information about the material factors, assumptions, risks, and uncertainties that could cause actual results to differ materially from the statements in the forward-looking information and the material factors or assumptions that may have been applied in making such statements together with details on H&R's use of non-GAAP financial measures, are described in more detail in H&R's public filings, which can be found on our website and www.cdar.com. I would now like to introduce Mr. Tom Hofstetter, Chief Executive Officer of H&R REIT. Please go ahead, Mr. Hofstetter. Thank you, and good morning, everyone. I'd like to thank you all for coming, uh, joining us on the call today. With me here are Larry Frum, our CFO, Pat Sullivan, COO of Primaris, Philippe Lapointe, CEO of Landtower, Robin Kesterberg, Executive Vice President, Corporate Development, and Alex Avery, Executive Vice President, Asset Management and Strategic Initiatives. A lot has happened since our last conference call. The U.S. election is finally over. Progress on treatments and vaccines for COVID-19 continue covering employment, economic activity, it seems that society is getting better at living more normally as we wait for the end of the pandemic. We have continued to prioritize the safety of our employees, tenants, and visitors to our properties, following all of the recommended protocols, including social distancing and frequent cleaning. <clears throat> From a business perspective, Q3 results reflect the high quality of our portfolio and the appeal of our, our properties to the creditworthy tenants that occupy them. Rent collections averaged over 93% in the quarter and continue to improve. Q3 FFO per unit was down less than 5%, primarily due to bad debts in the quarter, absent which FFO per unit would have, been, would have risen by 5%. Net asset value per unit increased slightly, primarily driven by increased investment demand for Sunbelt apartments. 
We are pleased with how well our portfolio has performed through these exceptional times. We are clearly not through this pandemic yet and may feel a further economic impact over the next few quarters, but the stability and resilience of our business is clear. Our team continues to work closely with our tenants to find mutually beneficial solutions to support the success of our properties. We are confident that HNRE is adequately capitalized, owns great real estate, and has the flexibility to take advantage of opportunities in the market that may arise over the coming quarters. And with that, I'll hand over the call to Larry, who will review our quarterly results, followed by Pat, who will provide an update on our retail portfolio, and then over to Philippe, who will update us on our multi-res portfolio. Larry? <coughs> Thank you, Tom. Good morning, everyone. Overall, we collected 93% of the rent bills in Q3 2020, an increase from 90% in Q2. Q4 looks like the trend will continue, as we've already collected 95% of October's total billings. We increased our bad debt provision by 13.4 million in Q3, in addition to the 24.5 million booked in Q2. 5 million was for tenants who had filed for creditor protection. 2.8 million was for the 25% rent abatements we agreed to under the Canada Emergency Commercial Rent Assistance Program. And 5.5 million was for other rent abatements we expect to grant and a general provision. Net of these provisions, our accounts receivable balance at September 30th at H&R's ownership interest was 23.6 million, down from 32.5 million at June 30th, 2020. As can be expected, most of our 13.5 million provision for bad debts arose from our retail division, which accounted for 95% of the total, and specifically in our enclosed mall portfolio. The split of our provision for bad debts amongst our four segments can be found in the press release and the MDNA. As a reminder, we own 100% of 10 enclosed malls and own 50% of seven other enclosed malls. These malls at our proportionate share of ownership account for 21% of our total billings. Same asset property operating income on a cash basis decreased by 5.5% and 3.8% respectively for the three and nine months ended September 30th, 2020 <coughs> compared to the respective 2019 periods, primarily due to the provision for bad debt. Excluding the provision for bad debt, same asset property operating income would have increased by 1.5% and 2.7% respectively. Same asset property operating income from office properties increased by 2% and for the three months ended of September 30th, 2020 increased 0.1% for the nine months ended September 30th compared to the respective periods in 2019. Included in the nine months ended September 30th 2020 were leased termination fees of 3.2 million compared to 5.8 million for the nine months ended September 30, 2019. Excluding lease termination fees, same asset property operating income from this office division would have increased by 1.1% for the nine months ended September 30th. The average term remaining on our office leases at September 30th was 11.7 years. Subsequent to the quarter, we extended Hess's lease on two-thirds of our office tower in Houston for an additional 10 years beyond the original expiry of June 2026. Same asset property operating income on a cash basis from our retail properties decreased by 15.7% and 17.2% for the three and nine months ended September 30th, 2020, compared to the respective 2019 periods, primarily due to the provision for bad debts as a result of the impact of COVID. Excluding the provision for bad debt, same asset property operating income 
would have increased by 5.3% and 2.1% respectively. Same asset property operating income from industrial properties increased by 7.4% and 5.8% respectively for the three months, three and nine months ended September 30th, 2020, primarily due to an increase in occupancy and rental rates. Our new tenant, Deutsche Post, is busy fitting out the first industrial construction property, totaling just under 343,000 square feet on our Caledon lands, and we expect rate rent payments to commence on November 14th. Same asset property operating income cash basis from residential properties in US dollars decreased by 12.7% for the three months ended September 30th, 2020, compared to the respective 2019 period, primarily due to Jackson Park in New York, which has been negatively affected by lower than average lease renewals and apartment traffic due to COVID. Excluding Jackson Park, same asset property operating income in U.S. dollars increased by 4.1% and 8.5% for the three and nine months end of September 30th, 2020, compared to the respective 2019 periods. Over the course of the next 12 months, construction will be completed on one mixed-use development and five residential developments, totaling 969 additional units at our share. Funds from operations, FFO, was 41 cents per unit for Q3 2020, up from 38 cents per unit in Q2 2020, and down from 43 cents per unit in Q3 2019. Excluding the provision for bad debts, FFO would have been 46 cents, an increase of 3 cents compared to Q3 2019. Adjusted funds from operations, FFO, was 35 cents per unit in Q3 2020, up from 29 cents per unit in Q2, and flat with Q3 2019 of 35 cents per unit. Distributions paid as a percentage of AFO, or commonly known as the payout ratio, was 49% in Q3 2020. Debt to total assets decreased to 47.2% at the end of Q3 2020, compared to 48.1% at the end of Q2 2020. As far as liquidity goes, as of September 30th, 2020, H&R had $1 billion of unused borrowing capacity available <coughs> under its lines of credit, had $54 million of cash on hand, and an unencumbered asset pool of approximately $3.5 billion, with only $39 million of mortgages maturing during the, main, during the remainder of 2020. I will now turn the call over to Pat to give an update on our retail division. Thank you, Larry, and good morning. During the third quarter, the retail division incurred an additional $12.8 million in bad debt, bringing the year-to-date figure to $35.7 million. Enclosed malls accounted for approximately 94% of this amount. As a result of this bad debt provision, the retail division has experienced a significant decline in NOI during the second quarter. On a positive note, without this bad debt provision, the retail division would have experienced a 5.3% gain during the quarter. Further excluding bad debt provision, enclosed malls would have posted a 10.4% gain during the quarter and a 4.1% gain through the first nine months of 2020, despite a significant decline in percentage rent and specialty leasing revenue. Significant leasing in prior quarters and new store openings has resulted in a notable gain in our retail rent and recovery ratios, which we will, co which we will continue to benefit from during 
the duration of 2020 and beyond. In the third quarter of 2020, just under 80,000 square feet of large format tenants opened from former Sears premise, with another three tenants opening in the fourth quarter from approximately 72,000 square feet. This is in addition to large format tenants that opened from about 110,000 square feet in Q2. As we enter 2021, large format tenants encompassing approximately 75,000 square feet is committed to open and we are in the final stages of negotiation with several tenants for approximately 55,000 square feet more. Additionally, we are close to finalizing long-term renewals and expansions with two tenants that will expand by almost 15,000 square feet in total and occupy almost 90,000 square feet in aggregate. Collection of rents in the retail portfolio have trended higher since a low, since a low point in May. In Q3, we collected 72% from our enclosed malls and 80% from the retail segment. Collection for October and November in enclosed malls are trending above 80%. With respect to tenant failures, we have retained 65% of the stores that have filed for protection under CCAA, and including those that have already been replaced with new tenants, this figure rises to 82%. Le Chateau, which occupied approximately 43,000 square feet from 13 stores, filed CCAA recently and will be closing all stores in our portfolio. Le Chateau has indicated they will remain in occupancy until March or April of 2021, which will afford us time to source replacement tenants for their high-profile locations. We're pleased with the fact that our enclosed malls are reporting sales in Q3 that are 86% compared to the same period last year with some specifically in larger markets skewing lower, while several smaller market properties are posting sales above comparable months the year prior. Generally, those tenants that sell products that are associated with office work, such as suits, formal footwear, and even cosmetics are experiencing lower sales as compared to retailers that sell casual apparel, athletic footwear, and household goods, some of which are posting higher comparable sales figures. With warm weather across Canada in August, Sales during that month were somewhat lower than expected. However, September sales were solid as a result of schools opening. Tenants continue to state that the most challenging properties are super regional malls and major markets that require a regional draw to generate high sales volumes, as well as urban properties that rely on daytime traffic. Most consumers are avoiding travel to major centers and shopping locally, which is benefiting malls in our portfolio that are typically located in secondary markets and include a higher concentration of essential services. Thank you, and I'll now turn the call over to Philippe. Thanks, Pat. Good morning, everyone. I'd like to begin by revisiting our experience through COVID-19's pandemic, successful by most metrics due to the complete and exceptional dedication of our on-site and corporate staff members. And so I'll begin with another encouraging collections update. Our high collections rate mentioned in our last call has persisted throughout the third quarter. I'm delighted to announce that our teams have continued their success as evidenced by a receipt of over 97% of bill to rent for every month from August to October. Additionally, as of yesterday, Lantara had collected over 94% of bill to rent for the month of November, keeping pace with their collections rate of over 97%. On the value creation front, I'd like to provide an update on our smart apartment pilot program at three of our properties in Austin and two properties in Charlotte. As of November 1st, all hardware had been installed and the software is operational at our five properties. As expected, reception from residents and staff has been overwhelmingly positive. And in light of this, over the next few months, we'll be studying the feasibility of rolling out the smart apartment platform across our portfolio. As a reminder, these smart apartment packages include smart locks, 
thermostats and leak sensors that will provide the resident full apartment control all from a single app. In addition, we expect operational efficiencies ranging from keyless and remote access to units, in addition to expense savings via vacant unit climate control. On the development front, the Pearl, a 383-unit mid-rise multifamily development in Austin, Texas, is expected to open its leasing office in the fourth quarter of 2020 and is scheduled to fully deliver in the first quarter of next year. Nightingale, a 263-unit mid-rise development located in Seattle, is still estimated to commence pre-leasing by the end of this year and will deliver towards the end of the first quarter of 2021. Phase one of our Hercules development in San Francisco, named the Exchange, received final CO and leasing velocity has been stronger than expected, in part due to having secured short-term leases from the U.S. Navy, bringing current occupancy to 64%. Phase two of our Hercules development started construction during the first quarter of 2019 and is expected to deliver in the second quarter of 2021. Lastly, Shoreline Gateway, our 35-story multifamily tower in Long Beach, California, is on schedule and expected to be delivered in the summer of 2021. The project has reached the 35th level and is currently topped out. On to River Landing. The third quarter also saw the grand opening of our property in Miami Lantar River Landing, a 528-unit multifamily development community in Miami, Florida. We're happy to announce that we've already signed nearly 95 leases to date, well <coughs> ahead of our budgeted occupancy. For context, we had anticipated securing 95 leases by the end of the month of May 2021. Additionally, we believe the leasing velocity to be quite strong, given that the leasing team did not move into the leasing office until this week. Lastly, we expect to receive access to most of the amenities in the coming weeks, accelerating the desirability of the property. Simply put, we are beyond satisfied with the leasing velocity that we're experiencing at River Landing. Jackson Park. While Jackson Park experienced a lull in operating performance due to COVID-19, we are encouraged with what we believe to be the start of a rebound. From an operational perspective, the property gained more new move-ins than move-outs in the month of October, underscoring our belief that we're past the worst of the COVID-19 leasing impairment. Furthermore, lease expirations for the fourth quarter are only a small fraction of what they were during the summer months of 2020, and thus we feel strongly about a more favorable trajectory going forward. Fortunately, Jackson Park uh, community amenities are predominantly open with restrictions which support a lifestyle competitive advantage within the submarket not to mention a private two-acre park, yet another competitive advantage over the surrounding multifamily properties. Also of note, we expect a new grocery store to open across the street in the fourth quarter of 2020, which we believe will be a major draw and selling point for prospective tenants. On the operational front, at the end of the third quarter, the land tower portfolio, excluding Jackson Park, was nearly 93% occupied. Our land tower portfolio benefited from a strong summer leasing season, and above average retention rates, supporting strong operational fundamentals. On the financial front, our same asset quarter end operating income decreased in US dollars from 19,904,000 in the third quarter of 2019 to 17,376,000 in the third quarter of 2020. While this equates to a same asset quarter over quarter operating income growth of negative 12.7%, this decline is attributed to the operational lull at Jackson Park. When excluding Jackson Park, our same asset quarter-over-quarter quarter operating income growth equates to a positive 4.1% for the third quarter and a positive 8.5% for the nine months ending in September 2020 compared to the respective 2019 period. And with that, I will pass along the conversation back to Tom. Thanks, Philippe. 
And thank you to the entire H&R team for their hard work and dedication in 2020. As the team has just reviewed, H&R's portfolio is performing well under challenging circumstances. We are confident our portfolio will continue to deliver stable and growing cash flows underpinned by the quality of our properties and our tenants. We'd now be pleased to answer your questions. Operator, please open the line for questions. Thank you. At this time, if you would like to ask a question, please press star 1 on your telephone handset. Our first question comes from Sam Damini from TD Securities. Please go ahead. Your line is open. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. Um, first question, Tom, probably for you. When you took the, the large IFRS marks in, in Q1, uh, did it contemplate the kind of um, you know, incentive that might have been provided to, to Hess to, to extend its lease? Uh, yeah, we don't believe that uh, it did, and we are, we're fine with the value we put on Hess. Nothing has changed. What we availed ourselves of is obviously uh, financeability, that asset is debt-free, um, and in addition, it, uh, the, the liquidity on the asset to be able to sell the asset is obviously much greater. Uh, we eliminated the, the future risk of the asset. So we can sell it, we can finance it, uh, we can do whatever we want with it. It's now an asset that's, uh, quite frankly, quite liquid. Okay, just to, just to be clear, I'm not sure if I heard correctly, you think the, 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 the lease that, that you did will not affect the, the IFRS for value as it currently stands? I think it provided liquidity, which means that, uh, if anything, the value has gone up, but I think we're, we're happy with the uh, valuation we had then. Okay. And then similarly, we have seen uh, a return to activity within the investment market, uh, specifically for shopping centers, just in, in very recent weeks and months. Um, and I, I note in the press release in MDNA, you say you haven't seen enough transactions to to revisit your your valuation your valuations. But you know the the transactions that you are seeing, as few as they may be, uh, do they support you know the big write downs that you did take back in Q1? I think the answer is the same. I don't know what you're referring to. There has been almost no malls done. There's been one done in BC that we know that was called pre-COVID that came back alive. I don't know of any other malls that have transacted. I think you're still missing uh, enough uh, evidence of actual deals that have gotten done to, back, to, have, to have any to have to have changed our opinion. I think we're comfortable at the value at the valuations that we have. Okay. Uh, and just last question is on the Mississauga Industrial. Uh, that looks to be adjacent to the uh, the Glaxo Smith Klein building. Is it on the north side or the south side of the building there? That uh, the lot that you bought. The south side. South side. And was that a an off market deal or was it widely marketed? It was off market. Oh. And when does construction start there? Uh, not for another year, nine months to twelve months. Okay. Yeah, congrats on that. Thanks very much. I'll turn it back. Thank you. And our next question comes from Matt Kornack from National Bank Financial. Please go ahead. Your line is open. Hi, guys. Uh, thanks for the updates. Uh, on, on Jackson Park, uh, it sounds like things are turning around. Um, can you speak to the type of tenants that you're targeting? And, and would you, as universities reopen, go after the international student market again in terms of leasing that up? Um, so I'll, I'll take that question, Matt. Um, so two, two questions. Um, I think the makeup, the, the, one of the major factors as to why we're, we're currently in the situation that we're in right now is due to the fact that at a heavy concentration um, of international students, 
to be honest, I don't think that we would have done anything differently. If we think about the pace and the velocity of the lease-up, it obviously exceeded our expectations at Jackson Park and enabled us to get um, exceptional financing. And so I'm not sure that we would have done anything differently. Um, and in casting forward, um, my guess is, you know, again, I, I don't think that the property was intentionally targeting international students. It's just at the end of the day it was open. Whoever came in uh, through their marketing efforts came to lease and leased uh, units. I would anticipate that as New York City would kind of unfreeze, no pun intended, um, you would see a rebound in that demographic and we would get right back to where we were pre-COVID. Now as to what the exact makeup would be and would it be the same proportion of U.S. students, or sorry, international students, I don't know, but um, my guess is uh, it probably would get close. Yeah, but don't forget, it's also November right now and international students won't be coming back for quite a few months. By the time they come back, I shall have hoped that it will be leased to others. So in reality, just from a practical perspective, it's not going to be leased to the same proportion of students because the students aren't back, and they won't be back. Even if COVID's over, they're not going to be running back until probably next September. So, so what you're seeing now is young professionals uh, probably that have started to migrate back to Manhattan or New York City? Yeah, I think that's, uh, I think that's a reasonable statement. I, I also want to underscore the importance of the amenity mix that Jackson Park has that, uh, to my knowledge, no other property has in Long Island City, which is essentially a two-acre park. And so if you think about potentially the city uh, shutting down again and ultimately some of the businesses that tenants are accustomed <coughs> to um, going to and them being closed, but you have a private park, so you're given the opportunity to a tenant to have some outdoor space, which is not closed, obviously with social, social distancing. My guess is the desirability of that property uh, over the short term will, uh, will increase. We, we have a very significant competitive moat to the remainder of the market due to those amenities. And then I, with regards to River Landing, is that, I mean, Miami's a city and that's a semi-urban asset, but uh, the Sun Belt generally seems to be outperforming uh, the Northeast in California at this point. Is that leasing traction there asset specific or is it due to the Sunbelt uh, generally seeing reasonable demographics? And can you speak to the, the, the rental rates as well relative to your forecasts or are they coming in line as well? So the easier I'll, I'll deal with the rental rates. The rental rates are um, exactly or very close to where we thought they would be and so there's really no uh, material deterioration there. Um, as it relates to the velocity, I think it's 100% asset specific. Um, we have assets in Orlando and Tampa. We had lease ups. We know we know what to expect or knew what to expect. We, there's also a couple of properties, uh, not in the immediate sub market, but within a three to five mile radius of River Landing, who are also in lease up, whose pace is probably half of ours, which leads me to believe that it is probably 100% uh, asset specific. We and, and when I say we, it's a, you know it's a big them, not so much myself, but um, we as H and R have built one heck of an asset, and the the fact that frankly we have 95 leases seven weeks in is uh, is a testament to the quality of the product. Okay, fair enough. Um, on the Hess uh, lease extension, can you just uh, wh where were rent? I don't know what you can uh, provide here, but where were rents relative to prior levels? And it, it's an extension for two thirds of the space, I think. So, uh, and I assume the full space will be rent paying until 2026. But how should we think of the remaining one third? 
Well, the, remain, the remaining one third is uh, currently in sub is sublease, so other than two floors which are currently on the market. So I think you can safely assume that the one third that uh, being that they're not occupying is going to be sublet very shortly. As I said, it's all done other than two floors in either event. For tenants that you can assume will stay there for the long term, there's no reason that they wouldn't. So you can assume that the building will have a uh, mix of a single, t primarily obviously Hess, and one-third mixed of other tenants, and it'll be fully leased and should remain so. It is one of the preeminent buildings in the market over there. Uh, it's, it's platinum lead, so I, I expect that uh, it'll be a high-profile Class A building and remain fully occupied. Okay, and then last one for me on the retail side. Um, it seems like you're actually getting some incremental uh, tenants taking space. What type of tenants are, are leasing new space in this market, uh, and how do you think about that going forward? Um, we're getting uh, on the large format tenant size. It's kind of a, just a mixed bag of, uh, you know, uh, say Dollaramas. Um, uh, there's some office tenants, uh, medical uses, um, some of your other typical big box guys. And in, inside the mall itself, uh, not a lot of fashion activity. It's primarily electronics, some food, um, some uh, home goods, stuff like that. But the fashion activity is really, uh, on the smaller side, is really light right now. And, and going forward, I, I don't see I don't see us uh, slowing down in terms of our volume uh, with the larger format deals. We've got a lot of discussions on the go. And on the small tenant side, w there is a lot of dialogue going on. I think uh, some of the fashion guys are just uh, waiting um, to see how the pandemic continues to evolve. But on the electronics side and some of the other uses, there's uh, a lot more activity uh, that should uh, really kick into gear next year at the start of next year. Okay, great. Thanks. Uh, lots of moving parts in the quarter, but looks to be moving in the right direction. Take care, guys. Thank you. And again, if you would like to ask a question, please press star 1. Our next question comes from Sam Domini from TD Securities. Please go ahead. Your line is open. Uh, thanks. And uh, Pat, just, just following on the last question there, what, what do you see as the impact on your Winnipeg assets from, uh, from the current situation in, in, in the province? Um, yeah, I mean, they, the, the malls uh, effectively are closing. Uh, We've uh, we've arranged for online pickup orders from the store to be done inside the mall, which is good given the time of year it is. Uh, hopefully, it's a short duration. Uh, the uh, government rent assistance program uh, helps subsidize a further 25% of rent for qualified tenants in the event of government closure. So that should help significantly for a lot of the tenants. Um, but uh, those both malls we have in Winnipeg we own at 50% level, so our that will mitigate whatever uh, exposure we may have, but uh, hopefully it's a, a short uh, duration for the closures. Absolutely. And just one last question. On the new uh, rent subsidy program um, compared to CESRA, is it your view that that will ensure uh, you know, a much greater incidence of, of you know, 100% of the rent collections um, compared to CESRA? Yeah, my preliminary reading on it makes it leads me to believe that uh, that we should see a lot better rent collection from the tenant for their their portion that's owed, just simply because I I believe they have to pay the rent in order to get the money from the government. Um, and uh, from a, from a, a an administrative point of view, it's a huge relief for us. I think we pushed through 900 documents related to Circa last uh, 
uh, with the last program. So it was a tremendous burden on our internal resources. Thank you very much. Thank you. And our next question comes from Jenny Ma from BMO Capital Markets. Please go ahead. Your line is open. Thank you, and uh, good morning. Just looking at the debt stack coming up for 2021, and it looks like there's some few chunky maturities coming up between um, the first uh, tranche of the mortgage bond and the securing a secured line of credit on the primaris assets, um, the term loan, and then, of course, the mortgages. Just wanted to get uh, some additional color on how you're thinking about these pieces and, and if you intend to sort of roll them over in their current form or look at different ways of accessing debt. Morning, Jamie. It's Larry. Um, so if you look at our mortgage maturities of $832 million odd for 2021, we expect we'll have to repay, call it about $285 million of that, and we'll be able to refinance the rest. Um, as far as the other facilities that are coming due, I've spoken to our, some of our bankers and feeling hopeful, or con pretty confident that we'll be able to uh, renew all of them. So it is really just taking care of $285 million of uh, repayment in 2021 of mortgages. The rest, everything else we expect to roll or refinance. So when we think about the, the line of credit that's secured against Primaris, um, can you remind me how many assets that's secured against? Four assets. Four assets? Yep. Okay, and, and you expect to sort of roll it over and, and have it secured against these four assets, or I guess a basket of assets, assets within Primaris? We expect, expect to roll it over, and um, we'll see what basket of assets has to be secured by it. I may have to give another asset a security, but that mm -hmm. would not be a problem. Okay. And uh, you last did the unsecured debt in June. Just wondering if you can give us an update on some of the indicative spreads you're seeing today versus five months ago. I don't think we've seen the debenture spreads come, uh, come in that much in the last four, four months or so. I think they're kind of looking uh, at the same kind of spreads on the unsecured market. And what about the secured market? The secured market spreads, I think, have tightened, not materially, but they've probably tightened 10 to 15 beeps, both on the five-year end and the 10-year end. And lastly, do you have a preference for, for being closer to five or 10 years? Um, do you want to extend the term out as much as possible, notwithstanding um, the slight premium to that? For our secured, for our secured debt, yeah. I think we would like to. For that, we would like to extend it as far as possible. The ten-year, you know, base bond rate is at a, you know near near its all-time lows. So why not take advantage of that? Danny, it's a loaded question because it really depends on you. In order to get flexibility to sell assets, you want to have it uh, a shorter term. So it's not just a question of rates or, or locking in the rates for a long period of time. It's giving flexibility to being able to sell assets over time. And for that reason, we use unsecured, even though unsecured are more expensive. Right, right. Okay, understood. Uh, and I guess just maybe one more question on the, on the mortgages. Is, is there um, a certain time frame in the year where a lot of them come due, or is it fairly spread out in 2021? For 2021... Um it looks 
just looking at the list now, it looks pretty spread out, right through, right throughout the year. Okay, great. Thank you very much. I'll turn it back. Thank you. And our next question comes from Mario Sarek from Scotiabank. Please go ahead. Your line is open. Uh, thank you and good morning. Um, my my question just relates to the bow and and whether you know since the last uh, Q3 results call has anything changed, either in ability or appetite, uh, in terms of uh, extracting equity from that building. Uh, nothing, no update. There's nothing new again at this point in time. Okay. And then more broadly speaking, we, we're continually hearing of strong appetite in the market for long lease office buildings, uh, single tenant, uh, of which you have several. Any incremental thoughts on the ability to extract value uh, through disposition of stock? Well, we're in the business of owning them, so <laughs> answer the question is that's what we do for a living. <laughs> so once uh, we've, you know, we've extended, has to extended bell, uh, we really have no rollovers to be concerned about, and uh, we're very happy clipping our coupons and, and keeping having fully leased buildings. So at this point in time, uh, it's really the uh, steady as she goes. Okay, that's it for me. Thank you. Thank you. And our next question comes from Sam Damini from TD Securities. Please go ahead. Your line is open. Hi again. Um, just following on, on the uh, river landing, when will that be transferred into into IPP? Uh, will it all ha happen at once? And um, what would any guidance on the FFO impact uh, at that time? Hey, Sam, the, the commercial part of it, which is the retail part of it, will be transferred in Q4. Um, the residential part may be transferred in tranches, much like we did with within the two buildings that we have that may be done in a two building phase. Um, so probably the first building will also be transferred in Q4 and maybe the second building in Q1. That's the timing we have now. I have no updates in terms of uh, the impact of FFO, but I would expect that initially, while it's not, in a, while it's not fully leased, then there should be some FFO shortage until, it's, until those assets are stabilized. And are the retailers paying rent, uh, you know, as they open their stores? Or yes. is there a free there rent is, period? There is a, a standard, you know, 60, 90-day free rent period, but the answer is yes. All the majors are open other than TJ Maxx is still left to be opened shortly, and Planet Fitness will be next month. And that's great. And how's the office leasing going? Uh, we have good demand. Miami, I think you probably know, is uh, because of COVID, has had strong demand than the rest of the country. There's many, many uh, tenants that have left, many office occupiers that are leaving other states to go to Florida. So we're seeing good demand, and we are still negotiating. Well, not finished negotiating, trying to wrap up through uh, uh, approval process uh, for half the, around half the building. But we're seeing good demand. Thank you. Thank you. And our last question at this time comes from Dean Wilkinson from CIBC. Please go ahead. Your line is open. Thanks. Good morning, everyone. Um, Tom, maybe it's a bit of a philosophical question. The, the capital market's desire, notwithstanding, to have lower leverage on real estate and its balance sheet. In a world where you know a 10-year bond is 70 basis points, and it doesn't look like that's going to any time soon, 
how do you guys sort of does it change your view on on leverage in that you know that flawed metric of debt to gross book value, which you know, we we've, we've talked about can be anything you want it can to be, that your interest coverage could actually increase by by actually levering up the balance sheet at this point, and and sort of what what's what's the view there in in terms of sort of the practicality of that that uh, cost of capital advantage on the debt side of things. Sorry, Dean, we're not sure of your question. Are you are you asking why don't we lever up? In is is that your question? In order to take advantage of the low rate? Essential, essentially, yeah. Because the capital market doesn't like it. <laughs> well, that's what I'm saying. Cap capital markets aside, right? Um, well, it's not capital markets aside. We're in the public public arena from a private perspective. I think uh, you do it all day long as much as you can, especially the United States model, which is non-recourse debt. But that's always been the case, quite frankly. It's been low interest rates for a long, long time, and the capital markets don't like it. You know, we follow the United States uh, lead, and the United States lead is in the capital market is much lower. That's the philosophical question. You're right. From a personal perspective, I always believe to load up a debt. But as CEO of a public company, I don't think I have that luxury of doing that. Maybe we should look to privatize. Um. <laughs> <laughs> just for the debt reasons alone, right? Just for the just for the debt alone. Uh, debt, yeah, debt but then you'd never talk to me, Dean. Come on. Oh, yeah, I, 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 I have plenty of other reasons too. <laughs> um, all right. Thanks. That, that's it for me. Thank you. And at this time, I'll turn the call back to management for closing remarks. Thank you, everybody. Uh, have a great weekend. Thank you for joining us today, ladies and gentlemen. This concludes our call. You may now disconnect. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.